Welcome to episode 9 of the Invite Along podcast. Hello world, this is Juan. And this is Quentin. We're an international couple traveling around the world for love, work, and the pursuit of wonder. Through this podcast, we invite you to come along with us as we discover places near and far while treading lightly and not breaking the bank. After a hectic week in Hanoi and a nice relaxing break in Ningbing, it is time to make our way south. This week, we're stopping at the ancient citadel of Hue before landing in the gorgeous city of Huayan. But to begin, there is a sleeper bus we need to take. Yes, and we'll tell you all about it in a bit. But first, it's time for takeoff. For this week, our itinerary was simple, and we'll discuss the costs as we go. So after taking the sleeper bus, and we'll tell you all about the sleeper bus, on Friday evening, that's July 8th, we arrived in Hue the following morning, where we just stayed for one night. The bus cost us about $15 per person, and the hostel night was an extra $15. The following day, we took the train to the city of Danang, where we directly jumped into a taxi for Hoi An. The train cost about $5 per person, and a taxi was just about $10. And there, we simply stayed at the Emerald Riverside Hotel for five nights, for roughly $18 a night. So how did we spend our time this week? Well, we need to start with that sleeper bus. Can you explain to us what it was and how did you like it, Juan? So I would say the sleeper bus was an experience, not one necessarily I wish to repeat. So a sleeper bus is basically three rows of seats stacked two levels. So you can imagine a regular size bus with all of these people in reclined position. The seats are by default already reclined, and you kind of slide your feet into this reserved slot. So I'm a little claustrophobic. Already, this is not a good start. And then, in addition to already being a little bit cramped, they also stuffed in everyone's luggages in the aisles. So it was rather hard to navigate around, and you're kind of just crammed in your little seat. There was a toilet, although we both dehydrated ourselves all day as to not use it because with all the luggage, it was almost impossible to make it to the toilet and it was just very difficult to move on the bus. To be fair though, I did sleep most of the way, so it was not as uncomfortable as I expected. There were some nightmare reviews online, for example, but I'm just glad I'll probably never have to repeat this experience again. And I'm glad that our bus made it safely. <laughs> the hotel actually booked us another bus earlier in the day, but that bus got into an accident. So that bus was not operational anymore and they had to switch bus companies. So thank you, whoever's watching out for us. At least we weren't in the bus that got into an accident. I was sleeping in the lower seat of the two levels, and that apparently is the more stable level. Quentin, how was your experience up on the second level? Yeah, on the second level, it was pretty swingy, I would say. Uh, not as swingy as when we were on the train to go to Suratani uh, back in Thailand, where I was really feeling the sort of the, the bends. But definitely, I wouldn't call it like a, a sort of cradling motion. It was much more erratic than that. And for me, I had a hard time falling asleep. But I did fall asleep, uh, eventually. When we arrived in Hue, 
We also went to the train station so we can buy the ticket for the following day. And for some reason, a lot of the tickets going north to south were already sold out. So the only train ticket we could get was the 6:30 a.m. one. So in retrospect, we should have brought tickets way earlier. All right, with all the logistics of transport out of the way, it was finally time to actually explore the city. Right, and because we were in Huai for only really one day, we spoke a bit with the people at the hostel about the different things to see. It turned out that we really only had time for the citadel, partly because we were still very tired and we had to go back to the hostel for a quick nap. But we did make time for that citadel. Now it is by far the most well-known thing to see in Huai. It is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and so we went there. And the first thing you see is those massive, beautiful walls that encompass the entire ancient city, and then you enter. And it was a bit disappointing. A lot of the buildings on the inside that we were supposed to visit are just very run down, or they've been under renovation for years, and you can't actually enter them, including the central building, which is supposed to be the imperial building that the emperor would come and stay at. You simply cannot go inside, and that's kind of like going to the Versailles Chateau, and you can't see the main chateau, and you can only see the gardens. And no one tells you that when you when you enter and when you buy the when you buy the tickets, so the whole thing felt like so we both had the same thought. Han and I we both entered and felt like it was almost an embezzlement scheme, because Huai has been on the UNESCO list of World Heritage Site for about thirty years now, and it really doesn't have too much to show for it. A lot of the renovations are not there. A lot of the buildings are run down, and again. We have seen old, destroyed structures, buildings, temples throughout Vietnam and throughout Thailand. But there's a difference between something that is old and has been in bad shape and has been properly taken care of, and something that was old in bad shape and simply was left to rot. And in Huey, it really felt more like the latter. The other part that I think really added a bit of insult to injury is the entrance fee. Which was two hundred thousand dongs, about eight dollars and a half, which is not that much in the grand scheme of things. But to give you an idea, a sense of this, this is more than one day of salary in Vietnam, one day of average salary in Vietnam. And there was also a traditional theater play that was supposed to take place in the ancient citadel, and to see that play it was two hundred thousand dongs extra. There was also a small AR experience, which is the closest thing you can get to actually seeing the Imperial Palace itself, which again was closed for renovation and has been for years. And that AR experience was again sixty thousand dong. So in total, if you want to actually see the things that they have prepared for you, it's about five hundred thousand dongs. At this point, it's about twenty dollars. It is a lot of money for a Vietnamese attraction. So altogether, I felt it was a bit of a letdown. Yeah, I completely concur. For example, when I was reading the guidebooks, one of the highlights of the visit was the bonsai and orchid garden. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. And these guidebooks all said that, you know, a lot of buildings were destroyed during the American War. Okay, I get it. That's terrible. So maybe there's nothing to see but ruins. But the orchid and the bonsai garden was one area that had been restored. You know, we followed the sign that says. 
orchid garden this way. We go in and we see some bonsais, which is great, but they weren't in the best shape, and you can tell they weren't really being taken care of because there were weeds like everywhere. And then there was not a single orchid in sight. <laughs> Instead, there were some blooming flowers that looked like petunias, but they were definitely not orchids. So I don't know what happened. How could it be a bonsai and orchid garden when it was like just badly taken care of bonsai and zero orchids at all? So that was just one example. Overall, it was very confusing. The exhibits were not well displayed. You didn't quite know what part <laughs> of the attraction you were in. And then there were some videos, but they were all in Vietnamese, no English subtitles whatsoever. It just felt really badly organized and actually just felt like a place where Instagrammers would go to take photos. And that's about it. Yeah, we did see a lot of people taking pictures because there are a few places that are admittedly really quite beautiful, but for the majority of the space we were just left confused and a bit irritated because, again, we were expecting something a bit more. I don't know, maybe we've been, um, you know, maybe we've been cuddled by the, the, the Thai temples that generally are in very good shape and are actively used by the population and by the monks, but all in all, and... Yeah, like for example, the orchid garden as well. Not only were there no orchids, the few flowers that were there were just left in like basic plastic pots, the same kind you buy at Home Depot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's just like, it looked like they had just gone to Home Depot or like the Vietnamese equivalent of Home, Home Depot, just bought a bunch of plants and just put them on walls randomly. But that's not to say that Hoi was like all doom and gloom. There was some cool stuff like the food, for example. Right, Juan? Yeah, fantastic food. For example, we tried, as per our hotel's recommendation, salted coffee at a local roaster. And salted coffee, basically, it's the cream part, like, you know, the latte, like the creamy, milky part that has some amount of salt whipped in. So it actually really nicely balanced the strong and sweet coffee that came with salt coffee. So that was super delicious. And the view was great. And then, of course, we had to try bombo hui, which is the typical soup, that noodle soup that came from hui. And it was also delicious. But I want to add that I know Vietnam can do wonderful museums and exhibits. We saw this in Hualo Prison, where I thought they did a fantastic job explaining, giving context, providing multiple languages, you felt like that space was really nicely curated and taken care of. And that was what made, for me, the Citadel of Hue so shocking in that it was just so neglected. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So that's why we thought more embezzlement than just incompetence, <laughs> because we know that, yeah, Vietnam is definitely capable of doing this right. All right, so then we slept one night at the Shark Hostel, and then the next morning, we took a very early but scenic train. This was a train that actually I read that if there's one train you take in Vietnam, this was it. The train between Hue and Da Nang. Because it's an extremely scenic train that's kind of perched on the cliff sides right by the ocean. We, of course, were like, okay, let's get this train ticket. Let's see some views, even though we were exhausted. For some reason, our tickets were for the top bunk of a sleeper cabin. And there was, I think, a father and a son beneath us. That's okay. We jump on our top bunk. And 
yes, indeed, you were able to see some beautiful views of the ocean, although I did have to like dangle off my bunk to look at it. There is no train station to Hoi An. You have to get a taxi from Da Nang, the nearest major city, that will take you to Hoi An. So we took the train, it landed in Da Nang, we booked a taxi in advance, and then we were taken directly to our hotel, the Emerald Riverside Villa, which was amazing. And we wanted to give a shout out to Ming, who is the owner of the hotel for his amazing hospitality and suggestions and making sure that we were just really taking care of the five nights we were there. We actually picked this place because it was between the beach and the ancient town. And we wanted the option to go see both and to get some peace and quiet away from all the hubbub of the main tourist attractions in Hoi An. And here in Hoi An, we also met up with our friends again, Irene, Daniel, and Celia, and we were able to hang out with them and do some more sightseeing and try some food with them. Yeah, it's always nice to be able to meet up with people across several cities. We, we had a great time with them. So, hi again. <laughs> Yeah, so like Juan mentioned, we stayed at the Emerald Riverside, a bit between the beach and the ancient town, so away from the main town. In retrospect, that was a really good idea, because as we arrived, we very quickly made our way to the old town by bike, and it is absolutely beautiful. Everyone, you know, uh, if you look up places to go to in Vietnam, Hoi An is sort of at a, towards the top of the list, because it's supposed to be this beautiful, old, antique village, and it certainly still has that... It is also very busy. We arrived on a weekend, and on weekend and evenings, it is just choke full of people. And so it's a good thing that we had a hotel a bit away. But all in all, the old town is still gorgeous. It has this beautiful yellow ochre walls, some ancient house, an ancient wooden house from its past as a trading city that are inspired by a variety of cultures that came here. So Chinese people came here, other people from the Southeast Asia Peninsula, to sort of leave their, their cultural imprint on the architecture. And it's absolutely beautiful. The, in particular, there is what is called a Japanese bridge, really in the city center. Again, amazingly done, all wooden. It's a gorgeous view. I can really see why so many people come to take pictures. It definitely is like a take pictures for Instagram sort of place, but it also has... I would say a strong feeling of like having had a lot of people, a lot of cultures mixing here for the past two centuries. And one thing that it's known for, it's lanterns. There are actually lanterns in the city kind of everywhere. In particular, once a month, they do what they call the lantern festival, where they essentially light up some lanterns to put on the river at night, and they turn off the main lights of the shops in the old town. In reality, we found that it wasn't that much different from any other night. Every night is kind of busy and kind of a bit of a festival night anyway. It's both good and bad. Good because if you miss it, you haven't missed that much, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the Lantern Festival night is particularly special. And of course, one thing that we did, just like in Hawaii, is try some food and drinks, so we want to take a couple minutes to discuss those. Juan, what did we start with? As per recommendation of our friend Hannah, who had gone and visited Vietnam before, she said, you guys have to try the Anthony Bourdain recommendations. So of course we do. And we hit up Banh Mi Phan, which is much better than all the other Banh Mi's we've had in Vietnam so far. It was quite a hectic place, 
But I don't know, somehow we ended up going in the back of the store instead of at the front where everyone was gathered around the ladies who were making bami. And in the back, you could sit down and then you're given a menu and you order the bami from the menu. And it's the exact same bami. It's just away from all the chaos of ordering. So that worked out. And it was some of the most amazing food I've had in Vietnam today. So Anthony Bourdain, may you rest in peace. But thank you so much for this recommendation. Yeah, that was absolutely amazing. And it kind of like put in contrast all the other banh mi we had had in Vietnam before that. Other things that we tried are more local specialties, in particular cao lo, uh, which is a specialty of fried pork with thick rice noodles, really tasty. The noodles are kind of udon noodles type. Uh, I really liked it. I thought it was delicious. We also had something called ban bao ban vac. Uh, also known as white rose dumplings. They are very delicate, I would say, and they come with a lot of fried garlic, which is always a good idea. But I would say they don't have a tremendous amount of flavor. So I like them, I tasted them, I don't need to eat them again. Uh, there was a couple other things. What did we have again? We also had kamga, which is chicken rice. We had it at a place that was highly, highly recommended. And it was packed with Vietnamese families. I would say it was very good, but I prefer the Hainanese chicken rice version that we had in Thailand. But it was still pretty good. We also had, per Daniel, Irene, and Celia's recommendation, they took us to their pork skewer place called Tit Xin Yuan. It's like char-grilled pork skewers that you wrap in rice paper with a bunch of herbs and you dip into this really savory sauce. And that was super tasty. There are a lot of really beautiful cafes and with beautiful rooftops dotted around the whole city. So we did hit up a bunch of cafes. Of course, we ordered now our favorite like yogurt coffee or coconut coffee and salt coffee. So that was really great to see that these are still great coffee options in Hoi An. And then lastly, there is a daily night market. So we walked around the daily night market and look at some of the things that people were selling on the streets. We bought some freshly roasted peanuts, but if you wanted a full meal, you could get one at the night market. In order to enter ancient town, nobody really checks, but it is recommended that you buy this entrance ticket that gives you access to different community centers as well as museums. So we got in and when we arrived by bike, we went to buy our tickets and that came with six different attractions that you could go to, including visiting some of the old Chinese community halls. So we did that. We also visited the Folklife Museum, which is also set in one of these old Chinese houses. Um, it was kind of cool when we went to one of these homes um, one of the gentlemen there who was elderly, he was a sixth generation Chinese immigrant to Vietnam. And he actually explained to me a little bit about the history of the congregational space in Chinese after telling him that I was Chinese. And one thing I want to mention is that this ticket uh, that Juan mentioned uh, to, to give you access to six different places, it was actually only 60,000 dong. I think normally it's supposed to be 120 and we got a reduction for some reason, but even at the full price of 120,000 dong, that is still cheaper than the ancient citadel of Hue. Right, <laughs> and Huayan is also a UNESCO site. Yeah, it is also a UNESCO <laughs> site. So the, these, like the people in charge of sort of a Huayan tourism and cultural preservation aspects, 
I've clearly done a better job. A few kilometers west of Hoyan proper, there is what is known as the Pottery Village, which is an area so close to Hoyan where, yeah, there are a lot of places that do pottery. It has been the case for centuries, and there's actually a lot of people who just have their house there and also have a pottery studio attached to it. And one aspect of this pottery village is the Terracotta Park, uh, which showcases Vietnamese pottery and the different sort of cultural and historical aspects to this. And I really recommend going, we both really recommend going. The exhibits are very cool, even if you're not particularly into clay, into pottery. Uh, but the building in itself is amazing, because it the, the architect is local and he used a lot of ceramics and terracotta in this design. I think it's a very unique building, just walking around is an experience in and of itself. And on top of that, uh, one of its main attractions is that it has miniature terracotta of famous landmarks like Notre Dame in Paris, or the Tower of Pisa, the Taj Mahal, etc, etc. Uh, and it just makes for a very, I don't know, it's a very nice enclave separate from Hoi An and you had a good time there. And we did get to try our own hands at making pottery and that was kind of cool. Oh yeah, yeah, Juan made a vase, uh, which was really beautiful actually. And I made a bowl that had like a an inch thick bottom, so it was probably it would probably not pass the final test. But still, we had a good time. And another thing that we did that was also very lovely back in Hoi An was the traditional music and dance. So as we mentioned, there's a ticket that gives you access to a few places. Not only does it give you access to the old communal halls, but also gives you access to a traditional music and dance performance at a traditional theater. In addition to all the ticketed activities, we also booked some additional activities. So the first thing we did was we tried out the coconut boats. <laughs> it was really touristy, but essentially it was really close to where our hotel was. And you can go to the coconut village where there are folks rowing these circular boats. And you take the boats and you're able to cruise along these coconut palms. These are special mangrove-like palms that can survive in brackish water. So we booked our tour through Ming at the hotel, and our rower lady was this very elderly lady, but she was full of humor and very fun, and she took us on the boat, and she showed us how to fish for crabs, and then she spun the boat, and then a huge Vietnamese tour bus came, and many people got on boats, so it was a whole riot of fun and laughing and just a touristic attraction including, I kid you not, a coconut boat exclusively for karaoke. I mean, in and itself, it was a quite an interesting cultural experience and we had a good laugh, but definitely a very touristic experience. Just if you want to do it, go in and be prepared for that. We then also booked a half-day cooking course through the Red Bridge Cooking School, and this was from the recommendation of our friends Taryn and Tom, who had traveled to Huayan before. And it was great. It was a chef-led morning course that went through the central market at Huayan. So we looked at different ingredients. We went inside the fish and wet area as well as some of the dry area. And then we went, took a boat from downtown Huayan to the Red Bridge Cooking School itself, where we were given a welcome drink and then like very specific hands-on tutorial of how to make several recipes. And we got to keep the recipes as a memento for this course. 
So we had a really good time. I have to say making rice, fresh rice rolls was definitely not one of my strong suits. I really struggled with it. But Quentin, from all of his experience making crepes, that actually came in really handy and he was really good at it. Yeah, it was fully in my element. <laughs> but on the opposite, I had a really hard time because apparently Vietnamese cuisine uses this particular uh, knife for slicing and peeling. And the knife is definitely intended to be used by a right-handed person, which I am not. I am left-handed. And me with that knife in my hands was just... It was like an otter trying to sew. It was just very, very, very funny for everyone around me, but not for me. We also went to several beaches. Again, as I mentioned, our hotel is kind of right between the beach and Old Town Hoi An, and it had bikes for rent. So what we did is we basically did one day of town and then one day of beach and alternated between the two to just relax. And we checked out several beaches. So we went to Tsui Beach, Anban Beach. Uh, these two are the most known and touristy ones. And then Hidden Beach, which is literally called Hidden Beach, capital H, capital B, and that was really quiet and beautiful. Tsui Beach suffered from a typhoon a few years ago, so the beach is quite eroded and some of the hospitality amenities are not up yet because of the disaster. So actually, Hidden Beach is attached to Tsui Beach, and we went to a beach shack. There were free umbrellas and sunbeds as long as you bought something from the kitchen at this hidden beach restaurant or cafe but you could see like there was no roof over the restaurant because again it was affected by the disaster but still the beach was quiet it was beautiful and the water was actually super nice very wavy but pretty clear Anban Beach, on the other hand, a lot more tourist amenities, a lot of people, especially after about five o'clock, a lot of local people when they leave work, come to the beach with the families. So it was a totally different vibe, but I still had a really good time. Yeah. And I mean, it was really busy, but still nowhere as busy as what we saw in Katba, where really, it seemed that people did not even have the room to stand on the beach. Here, we could still like be in the water and have a little space. Another thing that we've done that kind of ties with what Juan was telling about was biking. To reach those beaches, to reach the coconut boat, we biked a bit around Hoi An. So biking towards Hoi An was mostly stressful <laughs> because we were on the main roads. And of course, there's, as I explained before, a lot of traffic, a lot of honking. Uh, when you are on a bike and everyone else is on a motorbike or a car, you don't necessarily feel very secure. But we may do. But what was much more enjoyable was actually biking outside of Hoi An towards the beach or towards the coconut boat area because that way we were actually biking through rice paddies and those are very, very quiet, tiny roads, not necessarily always in a very good state but perfect for biking where the biggest traffic you will encounter is just a few cows on the way or maybe, okay, maybe one or two motorbikes but that's about it. And it was just such a quiet, relaxing, beautiful space, kind of similar to what we saw in Ninbin Tamcock, but the the way the rice paddies are set up is very different, and we're right next to the ocean, so it's also a bit of a different vibe. One of these days in particular, we stopped at Baby Mustard, which is a restaurant set up next to what is known as the Vegetable Garden of Hoi An. The vegetable garden, the same way that there is a pottery area, there is a grow vegetables area where everyone 
in that space has its own little plot. The Baby Mustard restaurant by it is very nice. They also grow a lot of their own food. After we had dinner there, the owner really wanted to show us some star fruit that he was growing in his garden. Uh, we shared a nice moment there. To finish, one thing that we did in Hoi An that everyone does when they go to Hoi An is hit the shops. Hoi An is known as one of the meccas of affordable tailoring and leather work. So we went there and we went a bit wild, specifically me. I had the project of buying a suit uh, when I was there because you can get a tailored suit for maybe $200, which is extremely cheap compared to the US prices. I ended up getting two for about $500 with the ties and the shirts and whatnot. I also got a pair of shoes and Juan, you got a Kindle cover because Juan has had the same Kindle cover for about 10 years. It was great. I just went to the leatherworking lady and gave her my old Kindle cover and asked if she could make the exact same thing, but updated with actual leather. And she did. And all of these tailors were able to turn around the work extremely quickly. So my Kindle cover maybe took one day. And Quentin, you went for multiple fittings, but overall the tailoring did not take more than five days because that's how much time we had there. Everyone is extremely nice, extremely professional. We just all in all had an amazing time. But that does not to say that everything was perfect. It's now turbulence time. So what is something that didn't really work out according to the plan? Where well, we've already mentioned it a bit. For me, it was Hue Citadel. It was just a letdown. Uh, online, there's a lot of really good reviews. And I don't know, again, maybe we had been spoiled by Hanoi and by Thailand, by the stuff we had seen before. But I just felt like the Citadel was not being taken care of as it should have. As a UNESCO heritage site deserves to be taken care of. How about you, love? Right. For me, Hui was also the disappointing segment of our trip. In addition to the Citadel, I actually had yet another Airbnb issue. Can you believe it? I was actually trying to use this voucher that Airbnb had given us from CatBot because our reservation fell through. So I applied this voucher. I tried to book an Airbnb for the night. And of course, the Airbnb is double booked and the host had to cancel but if I canceled, I would not get my coupon back. So it was a whole thing. He went through Airbnb. In the end, it was resolved. But it was just yet another data point for me that Airbnb in Vietnam is not quite recovered yet, let's say. And our replacement hostel, Shark Hostel, I mean, we just stayed there for one night in a private room. It was fine, but it was not nearly as nice as the Airbnb I had wanted to book. Yeah, and not nearly as nice as the Emerald Riverside, which again, we cannot overstate. If you're going to Hoi An uh, and you want to stay slightly outside of the city, the Emerald Riverside is a great place to stay. Now we're flying high and talking about our top moments from this week of travel. For me, it was, again, shout out to Emerald. <laughs> it was renting their bikes and just biking through the rice paddies and just really getting that experience of being in the countryside. I loved every moment of it. I love the feeling of the wind through my hair as I'm biking across the countryside. It was just really great. And speaking of hair, I actually did get a haircut in Hoi An and... 
it was really strange that I had to pay for a wash before the cut. So I was like, oh, I guess this is just how people do things. But my wash actually took way longer than this haircut. And it actually was like a half an hour of washing, conditioning, head massage, shoulder massage, and facial combined. So that was also an unexpected surprise and a bit of a beauty highlight for me. What about you, Quentin? My flying high moment is simply one of the evenings that we spent on a rooftop cafe in Hoi An. We were on the third, fourth floor, uh, just playing cards, you know, playing a board game, uh, looking at the city, at the roofs, seeing all the hubbub, but being far away from it. The drinks were delicious. The moon shone through very beautifully. It was just a very, I don't know, very nice moment altogether. And that's the one I've chose. All right, lots of biking, lots of Yellowstone. That's all we have for this week. Next week, we're making a quick but a very important detour to the beautiful country of Cambodia, where we'll visit the incredible temple of Angkor Wat. Until then, we'd love it if you would follow us on Instagram at Invited Along Podcast. And you can also reach us by email at invitealong at gmail.com. So long for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.